Well, good morning. Welcome to Kesed. If you're brand new, my name is Danny. I'm going to share with you today. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks for coming. Thanks for checking out church. Church can be crazy, filled with crazy people doing crazy things. Amen. Oh, <laughs> there she is right there, everybody. <laughs> there she is. Uh, we're, we're excited that you're here. Thank you. This is the launch of a brand new series called What Can I Bring? This is going to run us all the way uh, through the end of the year. And uh, I just want to say uh, I'm a big jazz fan, so I've been waiting to work this stuff into the, into the series promos. It's just, it's not everybody's cup of tea, but I think when we get to heaven, that heaven's going to be a lot of jazz. There's just going to be a lot of jazz. So um, I'm stoked about it. Before I dive in and kind of explain more, uh, last week we announced something churchwide called Meetups. You heard about it in the announcements. Uh, it's something that is happening organically in our church where people are kind of posting to our uh, online, uh, I guess, a dashboard, if you will, uh, what is going on in the community and different ways that they can connect with each other. I wanted to give you an update of folks who are already starting uh, some of these meetups. So we have everything from Frisbee Disc Golf coming up to uh, a backcountry discovery route. I think that's a hike to uh, Pastor Kip's doing books and burritos. There's a man cave get together. There's a mental health support group. There's a choir in the canyon and then a mom and kids uh, meeting at the library. So a lot of different things happening. Uh, I will say uh, one of those meetups has bourbon at it. I don't know if you know which one it is. Mom and kids in the library. You got it. That's it. That's it. Uh, I think it's the man cave one. He was, he's a big bourbon fan, and he asked us, like, so can we do We said, well, we can't, like, build it around alcohol, but you can have alcohol at it. And so I just wanted, for those of you who are, who are excited about the mom and kids in the library meetup having bourbon, uh, you know, maybe that's something you can start. So if you're interested, if you're interested in, um, in starting a meetup, all you got to do is go to the website. Again, these are not church events. These are not hosted by church people, all of them. They are, they are things that you actually go through and say, hey, this is something that I enjoy doing, and I would love to, to, to meet up with other people at Kesed and, and connect that way. So, uh, so check it out, and if you want to attend, you can, you can do that there as well. Got it? Okay, good. Um, so let me give you a, a little bit of background about this series, What Can I Bring? I want to bring a huge church-wide preface that this is not a series about money. This is not a series about how to, how to get you to give more. We're not trying to raise funds for anything. That's, that's not what this series is about. This is a series about generosity, and those are not always the same thing. But I believe that we as a church, this is a really important part of what's next for us as a community is to learn how to be generous with our time, uh, yes, with our money, but also with our talent, with the way we help other people, generous with our hearts, how we love other people, and so on. It earmarks Christians, and a lot of uh, churches slash Christian groups uh, are, are supposed to be generous, but just simply are not. They become very inward-focused, very inward-directed, uh, and that is the opposite of what the kingdom is about. We say here at Kesset all the time, like, we're excited you're here for a church service, but this is not the church. The church is happening outside these walls. The church is happening at work, at uh, your place of business, in your home, in coffee shops. This is, this is a part of the church, but it's not the church. And all of those gatherings according to scripture, should be earmarked by generosity. So I wanted to, uh, I wanted to give you that. So in order for us to uh, kind of front load generosity, I want, to, uh, I want to fill the room with it. So we're going to start with a passage that I believe is uh, the very first time that generosity actually came into existence. And that's the creation story. 
The creation story is the very first time that generosity occurred in all of time and all of the world because it is when God spoke into existence this world, everything that we have, and you as well. And so I want to read this over you because I think it's a wonderful platform and foundation for us to stand on as we look at where generosity goes from here. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and then I'll read it. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. And let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kind and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over day and over night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the water swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good." And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. 
And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth Everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. Verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Now, we don't often read an entire chapter in church because uh, it takes a long time. And, uh, and most of us in this room either know this story or some of us in this room know the story and... and uh, we understand it enough that there's, there's not a ton of nuance in it until you really slow down and you start to think about it from a perspective of generosity. You think about it from a perspective of there was nothing and God said, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. And these things started to happen and life started to occur. I think uh, the most nuanced part of that passage that I always it always gets me and I'm like, I feel like we should have done a little more with this is when it's like, and God said, we're going to create two great lights, one for the day and one for the night. And then it's like, and then there were some stars. And I'm always like, well, there's like millions of stars. Like, like that's significant, but it's, it's just the beauty of this giving and pouring forth and pouring out. And it's all generous. It's all given without anything coming back. There's no exchange of goods. There's no, uh, there's no you know, deal made. It's all just God being God and life happening around him. This is a generous story. As a matter of fact, it's so generous that not a lot of people realize that the word Genesis, which is the book the, the, the creation story is found within, and generosity both come from the same root word. Because like Genesis, which is the story of life, generosity also creates. That's why it's such an important piece of what's next for our community. Because we are called to be a people who don't just show up where God wants us to be. We are called to be a people who show up and create more and more and more generous, life-giving reflections of the handiwork of God. That's who we're supposed to be. The Bible's constantly calling us to be like Jesus to act like Jesus, to talk like Jesus. 1 John 2, 6, whoever says he abides in him, in Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. The Bible says, if you're a Christian, what that means is that you are becoming every day more and more and more and more like Jesus. That you are becoming more generous like Jesus is. Colossians three seventeen is another one. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We will discover within this series that generosity is the closest you can get to actually being like Jesus. Because generosity is, is a cornerstone of how God loves us. And this is because through generosity, we create spaces just like Jesus, filled with things like hope, connection, love, purpose, and so on. And so in this sense, we are never more like Christ than when we are generous to others. Whenever you read in the Bible, be more like Jesus, another way to say that is be more generous with your time, with your person, with your patience. Be more generous. Be like Jesus. Now, to best set up the series, 
I want to start by giving us the context by which all other forms of generosity will be discussed and measured. That context is what we're going to call the Jesus and me place. The Bible's asking us to be like Jesus. Jesus is God. Jesus was present at creation, part of that generous story. Jesus comes, generosity, walking around on earth. And so we're going to talk about what happens when you and I get in a room with Jesus, a place with Jesus, and that will be kind of the filter and the context by which all generosity is measured. And I'm going to show you today why we're doing that. If you have a Bible, turn to uh, John chapter 20. That's where we're going to be, and then we're going to uh, move over to Luke here in just a minute, but I'll walk you through there when we get there. At this point in the story, Jesus is thought dead. He's been crucified, he's gone, and the disciples have been running around for three days uh, just, just spilling their lives uh, all over everything they touch. The church has been dismantled, the local government's trying to find them, and they're in an upper room with the doors locked, commiserating with one another about how terrible their situation is. We, by the way, many of us have experienced rooms just like this. I want you to remember that as you judge these men and as you see how Jesus speaks generosity into their lives. John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then it says this phrase, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I feel like this is perhaps the most underrated verse in the Bible. Then the disciples were glad. This is a lot like, and then God made some stars. <laughs> Jesus is showing up in this place when everything else is lost. And he shows up, by the way, behind their excuses, behind their locked doors, which was, we can't go out into the world and accomplish his goals because the enemy's out there, or danger's out there, or doubt is out there, or failure's out there, or most likely for these boys, shame is creeping just outside that lock. Because we've made some mistakes. We haven't made the choices God wanted us to make in the, in the last three days. And I mean, Peter's in this room, and he flat out said he didn't even know who Jesus was three times. He's the shame captain. And he's like, lock the door, let's stay in here and just be sad with one another. Which, by the way, I think is uh, a strategy a lot of churches take and are confused while nobody shows up. Let's just lock the door, keep the enemy out, and be sad about how terrible the world is. Because <laughs> at least we can be sad together and safe. That's not church. That's not how it works. And I don't know... Um, I don't know, we got a solid earlier service, so I'll just say it. I don't know if Jesus is part of those kind of churches. I don't know if he shows up in that stuff. When everything is about us and our plan and our fear instead of about the people that Jesus wants us to reach. You can ponder that because that's not part of the message. So if you're judging me, just I'll get back to the parts of the story you like. <laughs> At this point in these people's story, the entire community of Christ followers exists only in the darkness of separation. Everybody lives inside this darkness. They are defeated. They are worn down. They are withered. Everything they thought they knew about the world was taken from them. The church people who first turned on Christ have now turned on them. Their peers are without encouragement or advice. As one theologian says, they have discovered a newly discovered loss of meaning. So when I read in the phrase that Jesus showed up to their sad party, and they were glad... 
I don't know. I think that uh, we could maybe choose a better translation of word. I think they were overwhelmed with conviction and joy. I think that they, were, they, they, they saw hope surge back into their lives, which probably was so much hope it hurt their hearts. I think it's an amazing example of the generosity of Christ because once again, he shows up into that room and he feeds into that room creation and purpose and love and a future. But this upper room, this upper room represents all the places before Jesus showed up without hope, joy, or purpose. And we have all been in rooms like that. When talking about these rooms, the rooms that, that I'm going to ask you to sit in with me now, uh, now I, I realize most likely no one's going to go running out of here, but you can mentally run out of here. And I'm going to ask you to close that door just for a second and just stay with me in this space because you're going to find two things, I think, if you're willing to sit in the upper room of your own soul. The first one is the obvious. It's the one the disciples discovered, and that is that Jesus is already there. He's already there. So don't think that you got to clean up or you got to declutter or you got to like unlock the door and do the work. You know, we lo- I, I love, I'm all about doing the work. I'm all about getting into why you make the decision you make and what happened in your story to cause you to see the world that way. I'm all about that. Just so you know, Jesus doesn't need any of that in order to show up in your upper room. He doesn't need any of it. He just needs you willing and honest and, and, and authentic about what it is you are lacking. I uh, went to the funeral of a friend yesterday, um, an older gentleman that had lived a very successful life. He was well into his retirement. He was married all that time. Uh, he had beautiful adult children and grandchildren. He served in his community. He was a believer. And I had heard all of a sudden about two weeks ago that he had passed away, and no one really said why. So we went to the funeral, and uh, it was huge. It was probably 300 people at this funeral, which spoke a lot about how this man had lived his life. And uh, the pastor got up and, and he prepped everyone. Hey, we're going we're gonna to walk into some real spaces today. And uh, we're going we're gonna to do that in order to honor this man's life. And then he invited up the, 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 the gentleman's oldest son, a friend of mine. He walked on stage and he had a piece of paper and he was shaking. And he began to read about his dad and the struggles that his dad had in the dark. The very, very low times, the very, very dark times. And it was probably one of the most beautiful Uh, most beautifully done uh, funerals I've seen when someone, as this man then told us, has taken their own life. The room did just what you just did right there because not everybody knew. Some people wondered, but unless you knew him really, really well, you weren't really a part of these, these lower parts of the darkness that he faced many times by himself. And this older son said, I think the thing my dad would want you to know now, and I'm I'm paraphrasing, now that he's in heaven, now that he's with God, he said, I think the thing he'd want you to know now is Jesus was always there. And so he asked them, a lot like I'm asking you, there's a, there's a chance in a room like this that there's people who feel this right now in this room, that, that they are that alone, that nobody understands, that nobody can, can see them, let alone get to them. And I just want you to know From the bottom of my heart, this is not a church service now. This is just a human being doing the best I can to make as much eye contact as I can with all of you. That Jesus is already in that space that you think is going to overwhelm you. He's already there. And he is generous with his love. And his love creates hope in the dark 
and light in the storm and calm in the midst of turbulence that begins to drown us. This is the first thing we discover when we're willing to sit with the upper rooms of our soul. The obvious that Jesus is already there. The less than obvious thing that we're going to discover is that these difficult spaces are critical to how Christ engages with those he's building relationship with. Some of us haven't been in, in our upper room in a long time because we came to Christ. We, we, we shut that door, that door that, I don't know if you've known this because I've had the privilege of walking a few people to Jesus. Um, nobody comes to Jesus like with answers. Like Ever. I mean, I've, I'm, again, this is what I've done for a long time. Nobody has ever come to Jesus with answers. Like, all right, Lord, I'm so glad that, that this, 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 and this is the way. Nope, the answer is Jesus. And people come with their tears or their sadness or their grief or their doubt or their addictions or their brokenness. Nobody comes to Jesus with answers. And I think it's so very important for us to realize, those of us who came to Christ in that upper room and then kind of shut the door and moved on with our lives, that that space that you came to Christ is often still the space Jesus calls us back into for us to grow deeper and wider and richer with him, back into the space of doubting, back into the space of having fear and struggle, back into the space of, of realizing, okay, I'm just, a, I'm just a messy human in a beautiful world with a God who generously loves me. I, as a pastor, by the way, um, <laughs> I also have very messy spaces, in case you didn't know that. Uh, my wife likes to point them out all the time, which is why I do the best I can to bring context to our marriage and our story. So stop offering to buy me cider. I don't need any more. <laughs> the love of my wife is all the cider I'll ever need. Messy spaces happen, and a lot of times they happen to us without even ex expecting it. Uh, I was driving with my wife the other day, and uh, I, I used to do construction before all this years and years and years ago, and I, I have a high respect for that trade because I did a lot of it. I had a flagger's card as well. I have high respect for people who did that. It's not the easiest job. I pulled upon uh, some street construction, and they did a terrible job with their conage. I don't know if that's a word, but it is now. you got to watch your conage, people, when you're, if you're flagging. And there were multiple ways you could go and no one there. So I took a right. And when I took a right, I ended up in a place I shouldn't have. And this gentleman comes out, probably my age, and he just throws the biggest tantrum outside my car I've ever seen. And my wife, very calmly, she's a better human being than me, goes, oh, I don't think we're supposed to be here. <laughs> and he starts to walk up on my car. And I said, no, we're not supposed to be here because this conage is off. And I took my seatbelt off. And she goes, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I was just going to have a discussion real quick. And she's like, you don't need to do that. And I was like, oh, what? he doesn't know anything about conage, clearly. Nor does he know what I need to say about his mom after we're done. <laughs> Which is that she's a very nice woman. Great respect for this gentleman's mother. He gets into my car, he throws a fit, my wife just makes me turn around, you know, we, we, we go the other way, and it takes me about 10 minutes just to get my heart rate back down, all over pouring into a parking lot with a man throwing his hands in the air like I made a mistake. I didn't make the mistake, but the human inside of me decided to make sure to protect everything I could and not drag me back to the place where, guess what, sometimes you drive where you shouldn't, sometimes the conage is off. 
And sometimes you got to recognize we're all just messy humans trying to do the best we can in this beautiful world, receiving God's generous love. When Jesus shows back up in that upper room, he is bringing generosity, make no mistake. He is creating a brand new environment. Again, hope, connection, love, purpose, and so on. And the funny thing is, Jesus may have had a conversation off book, because by the way, I think Jesus had a lot of conversations off book, where he's like, oh, hold on just one second, John, let's just go ahead and put your... And then he's like, what are you guys doing? Do you know how many people are going to read this stuff? Like, I think there's maybe some of that in the Bible, but that's just me. I do believe there must have been a conversation where Jesus told those gentlemen in the upper room, how did you not know I was coming? And they're like, Lord, how would we know? And he would tell them, I think, don't you guys remember the banquet? There's a story in Luke of Jesus and the disciples going to a banquet. And it says that he's traveling through town and he got invited to go to someone's home who would host him, the disciples, and other well-known people from the town. And everybody at these times when you would show up would get seats according to your importance, according to your value. And so Jesus is watching everybody kind of jostle around, looking for different seats, trying to get one seat closer to the host or to Jesus. And he realizes what's going on, which is that this host has set up this entire experience to bestow his generosity upon the rabbi and other leaders of the town, but Jesus is having none of it. So he says to the man who had invited him, quite awkwardly, and I think with a lot of eye contact for each of the people he mentioned here, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends, looks over at the friends at the table, or your brothers, everybody's got that brother, I do, or your relatives, or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Basically, there is no generosity happening here because this is all political. This is all people trying to climb the ladder, the social ladder, and be more and give more so that they can receive more. And instead, Jesus says this, when you give a feast, he says, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This is a very important insight into how Jesus perceives who he is and who we are. Jesus is walking generosity. And the Bible basically says that to be in a relationship with Jesus is to sit at a table. I like this quote. The call of Jesus is fundamentally connected to being a table companion. Nobody in this room who's come to Christ has come to him differently than at a table. That's just his deal. And at that table, he will say to you, hey, I am the bread of life. Have some. And at that table, he will say to you, hey, I am the wine of life. Have some. This represents my body that was broken for you. This represents my blood. These things happen in relationship, which is contextualized at a table. As a matter of fact, Revelation 19.9 says, The angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of Christ. It is within this context that Jesus is telling people how the table works, 
that he is the host of the table and that there is no one at the table because they are a brother of Christ or a mother of Christ or a, a, a wealthy friend of Christ. Everybody at the table is someone like those people Jesus describes. They're all lacking. And that's exactly who he goes on to say he wants to host with. The room's now silent, right? The banquet's silent because he called out the brother, the mom in the back, the rich neighbor, and the host. And the disciples are sitting there like any good, awkward, younger siblings, like, why does he always do this? (laughs) I'm so tired of fish. All we do is fish. This was a great meal. Jesus is always making it awkward for people that we could gain something from. And Jesus is like, that's right, because that's not what the church is about. And those disciples are about to be the foundation of the church. And he's like, this isn't generosity. And then he goes on in the midst of the silence. And he says, when one of those who reclined at table with him heard the things that he said, this is the host most likely, he said, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. He says, Jesus, everybody's welcome at this table. Come on, you can tell. This is a good excuse that that we as a church often do. We're like, anybody can can be welcome here. And then somebody walks in dressed wrong, uh, thinking wrong, saying wrong, with the wrong perspective on life, and immediately I get five emails about, do we allow those kinds of people here? (laughs) Yes, the answer is yes. Just in case you were waiting for the cliffhanger, everybody's welcome here, but they're actually welcome, which means they can show up and not be transformed into you. Because the goal, by the way, real quick, the goal is not to be transformed into you. Or me. The goal is to be transferred into Jesus. Jesus is the answer. Not you, not your refined life, not your system you figured out. And certainly, I don't want to come to your house for dinner if you're not there hosting Jesus. That's who we are here. Okay, that's extra. So, verse 15. I already preached all that, so I'm just, I'm just, all right, verse 15. Jesus is going to say it better. Jesus is going to say it better. So, this gentleman offers his excuse. Everybody's welcome at the table. Bring everybody, Lord. You know, Lord. And Jesus looks around. He goes, not everybody's here, brother, sister, rich neighbor. And then he says, a man once had a great banquet. (laughs) So he, he tells the story of another man of another banquet. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. So this man has a great banquet. He goes to invite the people who already were invited to the banquet. And each of them offer excuses. Listen to their excuses. You tell me which one you think is the best, by the way. I know exactly which one's the best, but you tell me. Verse 18, but they all begin to make excuses. The first said to him, I think it's a pretty good excuse. I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. So he bought a field. This is property management. You don't know. You got to make a deal. You got to make some, you got to work it. That's an okay excuse. Feels like he maybe could have made a deal at a different time. And then verse 19, another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. This is farm management, right? Farm management is seven days a week, 365 days a year. You can't just pause that stuff for a banquet with the Lord. But this next excuse is the best one. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. I love this guy because everybody in the room is like, yeah, Jesus. I mean, come on. Like, what? But Jesus says, so the servant came and reported these things to his master. Verse 21. Then the master of the house became angry and listened to what happens. And he said to his servant, go quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. 
And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out of the highways, to the highways and hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. When you break down these three uh, characters, everybody in the room at this time during this culture would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about. First, you have your invited. You have your people who fit. You have your religious leaders, your Pharisees, your Sadducees, your scribes, your wealthy, your, 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 your of, of, of quality mind. My quality mind. People who think like me, talk like me, act like me. People that can gain something from me. Those are the people who know naturally they're invited. Because that's how it works. I invited them last time, so they invited me this time. Apparently, this owner of the table, this host has a different idea when those people decide to not show up. And so he goes out and gets the uninvited. These are the outcasts of Israel, the notorious sinners like prostitutes, corrupt tax collectors, people who have darkness outside, not just inside. Because <laughs> you all, we all got darkness. But sometimes that darkness spills outside and it makes it a little easier for people to exclude us by the people that have figured out how to hide it so well. I don't think it's any better. It's just, it's just real. Jesus says, bring the uninvited. And the uninvited show up. Do you know why? Because the uninvited never get invited. So when all of a sudden the messenger's like, hey, do you want to go hang out with Jesus? Do you want to go to the feast? They're like, me? They show up. And guess what an uninvited person does when they go walk into a feast, right? You know what they do? Because they're so excited to be there because they recognize the generosity of the host, they go right to the foot of the table. There's no confusion. So there's still room closer to Jesus. So the messenger goes, sir, we invited all the uninvited. And they they have, like all showed up. And Jesus is like, cool. Go outside the walls of this city. Go outside the walls of this worldview. You move from the invited to the uninvited. And now I want you to go all the way to the unwanted. In this culture, this would be the pe people outside of Jerusalem, outside of Judaism, the people who don't even think about God the same way. This is Gentiles, filthy Gentiles. Which, by the way, in the Bible is all of us, for those of you who are wondering. The Gentiles, everybody that's not Jewish, go into the highways and the hedges, and guess what? Even people who didn't know about the host and the meal and the culture were like, yeah, I'll go. And they show up, guess what the only room that's left? right up close to the table. It's like the further out you go in need of generosity, the closer are you are to the head of the table with Jesus. Because again, when you're in an upper room and you know there's a lock and you know people are after you and you know the world's gonna overcome you and you recognize just barely by the skin of your teeth that Jesus is there, when he shows up, you are glad. This is what this table is full of. Gladness at a level that's hard to measure. These last two groups are the people the Lord ends up dining with, those who will receive his generosity fully, the defeated, the worn down and withered, the uninvited and unwanted. It's at this point in the story that people around the table have to do the same thing that now you have to do if you've not left your upper room, because basically at this story, I don't know if you put it together, but Jesus has drugged the upper room into the feast letting everybody know that he's there the whole time and that they need him. 
If you have allowed your upper room to sit with you right now, the question becomes, who are you at the table? Do you live most of your life feeling invited? Did you grow up in church like me? Did you, did you make all your mistakes on the inside? Is all your darkness nicely compartmentalized and packaged away for you to bring out at just the right time? And even it looks like, it's, well, it's cute, right? Look how small it is. I used to do that kind of thing too. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Christians a lot of times just go to church to learn better how to package up their darkness. We're like, it's like gift wrapping lessons for self-righteous people. That's often what we do here. That's offensive, isn't it? I know, I know. But Jesus is offensive. I read you a whole chapter on that just a minute ago. That's what we do. We gift wrap our darkness, we hide it away, and then we hang out with other people with similar packaging. And everybody has a great meal, and then I get invited to your feast, and you get invited to my feast, and nobody stinky has to show up. I know. I'm so offended right now. Of myself, I'm so offended. But this is who we often, without incredible help, are. Who are you at the table? Are you the invited? Are you the uninvited? Like you know exactly the game that's being played and you've made choices that have excluded you from it. And you're also kind of judging because you're like, that's how you guys are. But yet you're still doing the same thing over and over. You're that verse in the Bible that says the dog returns to its vomit over and over and over and then blames everybody else around them for the mess on their face. See, you don't get to just stay in the darkness and blame other people for working on their darkness and then judging you. They shouldn't do that, but you should also probably face the fact that... Uh, you are invited, then you haven't accepted that invitation. How about unwanted? This is all brand new to you. You don't fit in church. You don't feel like you belong here, but you know deep down in your heart that there is something more to this life, and you've tried to fill it with all kinds of things in this world, from drugs to sex to power to money to notoriety and on and on and on, and you know deep down in your deepest, darkest upper room that none of this stuff is going to help you. I'm here to tell you Jesus has invited the invited, the uninvited, and the unwanted. And he wants to pour forth his generosity into your life. But it's hard. It's difficult. This is because, I like this quote, it's not often we can see ourselves well without the gift that we're talking about right now that you've been willing to sit in for the last 20 minutes, difficult spaces. You have to sit in difficult spaces, like the disciples, or this banquet where Jesus just sort of ripped off the house and put an upper room over it. You have to sit in these awkward, uncomfortable places in order to be authentic about the things you've packaged too well, the things you've blamed, and that's why you won't make healthy life choices, or the curiosity you have not been willing to seek out an answer. And yet, these are the difficult, discovered places that Jesus is inviting us to explore, even if they're difficult to get to. I like this phrase, it remains a startling story to those who never understand that men and women who are truly filled with light are those who have gazed deeply into the darkness of their imperfect existence. You can avert your eyes all you want, ladies and gentlemen. It won't make any difference at all. 
It's to these people, the master says, these people that are willing to show up and receive his generosity, the uninvited and the unwanted, come for everything is ready now. All you need to bring is yourself and an appetite. This right here, by the way, this is a little side note. This right here for some is the, is the primary reason you have a hard time coming to the table of Christ is because you're so used to bringing something that to show your thankfulness, to show your gratefulness, to show that you've put forth a little bit of effort, to show that maybe you'll get a place a little closer to the table, that you don't go at all. If you could just offer something in exchange for the meal, you would feel better about it. But to come and eat freely is an affront to your dignity and pride, and so you offer your excuses. From oxen to wives. <laughs> I could have tied that together better, but it's in the Bible, so. Think about the people sitting at this table. Think about the fact that aren't they the ones with the strongest reason for not pulling up a chair? Don't they have the best excuses? The poor man could say, I don't have anything decent to wear to such a feast. I can't go. The crippled man could say, I can't get anyone to carry me there. Because to be carried publicly would be too shaming. The blind could say, I can't see to find my way. The lame could say, it hurts me too much to walk on my bad leg. Those along the highways and hedges, the street people could say, I haven't had a bath in days and my clothes are dirty and ragged. I can't come. And yet, it's these people that finally dined with Jesus in relationship because they accepted the offer. And that's because they were convinced by Christ that they were welcome. And that's because they were acknowledging their need. And so allowing him to pour forth his generous invitation into their hearts. These are the people that Jesus is after. People that come without excuse. I said at the very beginning of this message that we're going to call the context of generosity that we measure everything else by in this series, Jesus and me place. Now I hope you know why. No other place in all the universe is generosity experienced more than when an undeserving human being like you and I stands before his or her creator knowing that they were in no way deserving of how fully accepted and embraced they currently are. This is the place of the upper room that Jesus is still creating today. This is the holy place of endless generosity. And you know what? This is supposed to be the places every single church, including this one, hold in the world today. But they get distracted by the, by the, the most common things, just the smallest things that allow them to just have a little bit of the credit for themselves. Recently, I don't know if you've heard this, I don't know who showed up that changed everything, but recently I was told in the last month or so that uh, Keset has become a very trendy church. I threw up in my own soul when they told me that, but they didn't, they, didn't, they didn't see it on my face. And here's why. Because to be trendy and known for being trendy is easy. Being trendy and, 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 and creative and all these things that happen out of gifts become strategy. I said at the beginning, I'm going to say it again. The only strategy for healthy, holistic, honest church growth is Jesus. That's it. And then your fruit and my fruit come together. Our gifts show up. We do half the stuff we do on the stage because I like it. People are like, I don't know if that's really us. I'm like, I don't know if it's not us. So let's try it. And all of a sudden, a bunch of people show up who are interested in these types of things. Suddenly, people are okay with sitting in tension, and so we can talk about difficult subjects. Suddenly, people are okay uh, being curious, which, by the way, if you can't sit in tension, you can't be in relationship. 
And if you can't be curious about somebody else and their perspective and their worldviews, you can't be in relationship. Do you know why the third thing we need to add in this series is? The, why why uh, generosity has to be the thing we add? Because generosity will dismantle any kind of distraction that we figured somebody out, something out that nobody else did. It will remove us from the host seat. It will put us at our proper place at the table, undeserving of the fact that God seems to be blessing this place for now. Generosity will dismantle the trendy trap and any trap that comes after it. Because it's hard to be trendy when everybody knows just how underdressed you are sitting at the king's table. So we're going to learn to be generous. We're going to learn to scoot down. We're going to learn to just be thankful we're there. We're going to learn to walk through our shadow stuff. We're going to learn to allow people that are different than us in, not just look different, smell different, act different, believe different, vote different. What? I said it. I know. We're going to be a church that holds this space because this is what Jesus asked us to do. And my hope is that within town, this space becomes an upper room where people can walk in when they're afraid. They can acknowledge the locks. They can acknowledge the fear. They can acknowledge the hurt. And in the midst of it, we can say, hey, it's okay. Listen, listen, Jesus is already here. And he's sitting within us. And we can be loving to them when they don't deserve it. And we can hold space with them when they don't deserve it. Jesus is already here. And by the way, although this space is difficult, although this space is dark, these are the spaces that Jesus uses to break open the chasms of our heart. I heard a therapist say uh, recently, actually it was at the funeral, one of the people sharing said uh, to everybody there, and I'm giving this to you right now, this is just coming to me now. She said to this person who was struggling with the death of my friend, she said, when your heart breaks, make sure it breaks open, not closed. That's what spaces like this bring. They bring broken hearts that are open, not closed, but there are other hands of other people with other open, broken hearts that have to be present in order to hold spaces with those people, and that's what Jesus asked us to do. That's what I want this place to be. That's what I hope you want this place to be, or I hope you find a church that finds exactly what you're looking for, because all I want is what Jesus is looking for. It's not going to be easy. We're going to have to battle being incredibly trendy, led by an incredibly talented pastor. It's going to be hard, people. It's going to be very hard. It's very difficult. But we can do it. <laughs> the Holy Spirit just left the room. I'll get him back soon. He'll come back, I promise. He thinks, he knows. He knows what he put up here. So uh, God is good. I hope you stay with us on this journey. And uh, I'm so grateful we can talk about this stuff. It, uh, I think it's very rare. And so... Thank you for being so willing. Amen? Amen. Would you stand? We'll close in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much that we can hold such a space with you. Lord, you are our uh, church planter. You are our lead pastor. You are our vision. You are our strategy. You are our entire plan and provision. May we all start this journey of adding generosity to the tension we've learned to hold and the curiosity you've asked us to, to walk into. May, may generosity become something this community is famous for in this town. Please um, walk with anybody here who feels like their, their upper room is 
is being experienced right now. Let them know, Lord, that you are working. Let them know, Lord, that you are already there. We are so very grateful that, you, uh, that you're willing. We praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you guys for coming. See you soon.